Welcome to the Defender Bible Study, a weekly encouragement to equip the body of Christ through the study of Scripture and prayer to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children around the world. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, where we believe that defending the fatherless begins by being rooted in God's Word. It's Monday, August the 10th, 2020, and today we are continuing our study on the book of Ezekiel. And today we are specifically looking at Ezekiel chapter 22, verses 6 through 31. In today's passage, we see that these words are 99% judgment and 1% grace. This is God's word, and we have to remember that God's word is not just for inspirational quotes that we can put on the walls of our homes, or our office, or our desk. It's not just for wall art. God's word is more than just inspiration. God's word is also a warning sign. There are times that God's word to us is a flashing yellow light, warning us to slow down and to be careful. And there are times that God's word for us is a stop sign that says, stop what you are doing, halt and turn around. Before we look at our passage in Ezekiel chapter 22, I want us to look at Psalm chapter 19. And this is what the psalmist says about God's word. He says, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims its handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth. In them, he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber and like a strong man runs its course with joy from the from its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure. You can take it to the bank, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous all together. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey, drippings of the honeycomb. And then this word, moreover. So what's about to be said, beloved, in Psalm chapter 19 by the psalmist, by King David? It's connected to his thought that the word is to be desired more than gold, more than fine gold and sweeter than honey. And this is what it says. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Verse 12, who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servants also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgressions. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord Yahweh, my rock and my redeemer. Beloved, we hear from the psalmist, from King David himself in Psalm chapter 19, inspired by God, that the sweetness of God's word, the drippings of the honeycomb, is when the servant is warned in keeping the law, warned to keep them from presumptuous sins. 
The warnings are to keep us blameless before the Lord. So what is the purpose of the word of the Lord, the word of God? The word is a warning, a picture of sin in us and around us. And the question as we look at Ezekiel chapter 22, verses 6 through 31, which is a passage about judgment and God's wrath, 99% about God's judgment and wrath and only 1% grace. The question that we have is what sins is the word warning us against? What sins is the world exposing in us? The truth of the matter, beloved, is we do not want to be overrun by sin. And so this word, it guards us, it directs us, it leads us, and it keeps our path straight. Ezekiel chapter 22, starting in verse 6. Behold, the princes of Israel in you, every one according to his power, have been bent on shedding blood. Father and mother are treated with contempt in you. The sojourner suffers extortion in your midst. The fatherless and the widow are wronged in you. You have despised my holy things and profaned my Sabbaths. There are men in you who slander to shed blood and people in you who eat on the mountains. They commit lewdness in your midst. In you, men uncover their father's nakedness. In you, they violate women who are unclean in their menstrual impurity. One commits abomination with his neighbor's wife. Another lewdly defiles his daughter-in-law. Another in you violates his sister, his father's daughter. In you, they take bribes to shed blood. You take interest and profit and make gain of your neighbors by extortion. But me, declares the Lord God, you have forgotten. Behold, I will strike my hand at the dishonest gain that you have made and at the blood that has been in your midst. Can your courage endure or can your hands be strong in the days that I shall deal with you? I, the Lord Yahweh, have spoken. I will do it. I will scatter you among the nations and disperse you through the countries and I will consume your uncleanliness out of you and you shall be profaned by your own doing in the sight of the nations and... At that you shall know that I am the Lord. You forgot me, verse 12. Oh, but I will judge you and you will know that I am the Lord. Verse 17, and the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, the house of Israel has become dross to me. All of them are bronze and tin and iron and lead in the furnace. They are dross of silver. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you have all become dross, therefore, behold, I will gather you into the midst of Jerusalem. As one gathers silver and bronze and iron and lead and tin into a furnace to blow the fire on it in order to melt it. So I will gather you in my anger and in my wrath, and I will put you in and melt you. I will gather you and blow on you with the fire of my wrath, and you shall be melted in the midst of it. As silver is melted in a furnace, so you shall be melted in the midst of it, and you shall know that I am the Lord, I have poured out my wrath upon you. And the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, say to her, You are a land that is not cleansed or rained upon in a day of indignation. The conspiracy of her prophets is in her midst. It's like a roaring lion tearing the prey. They have devoured human lives. They have made many widows in her midst. Her priests have done violence to my law and have profaned my holy things. They have made no distinction between the holy and the common. Neither have they taught the difference between the clean and the unclean, and they have disregarded my Sabbath, though that I am profane among them. Her princes in her midst are like wolves tearing the prey, shedding blood, destroying lives to get dishonest gain. And her prophets have smeared whitewash for them, seeing false visions and divining lies for them, saying, thus says the Lord when the Lord has not spoken. The people of the land have practiced extortion and committed robbery. They have oppressed the poor and needy and have extorted from the sojourner without justice. And I sought for a man among them who should build up the wall and stand in the breach before me for the land that I should not destroy it. But I found none. 
Therefore, I have poured out my indignation upon them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath. I have returned their way upon their heads, declares the Lord. 99% judgment and 1% grace is what we see in Ezekiel chapter 22 from the words. Oh, but beloved, we also see the structure of Israel in Ezekiel chapter 22 has totally failed. You see, God set up his presence among the people of Israel through three specific structures, three specific offices. The prophet, who was supposed to be the truth teller. He was supposed to speak the truth of God, to tell the people the truth, the absolute truth, and nothing but the truth. And then the priest was supposed to point to the Lord. He was supposed to look to the Lord and, and show the people the Lord and, and, and lead them into worship of the Lord. And then there was the king who was used to use his power to lead expeditiously and righteously in going administratively. You, you see these offices working well. King David, a man after God's own heart, abuses his power and has, uh, Beth, and, and, and takes Bathsheba and he, and he commits adultery with her. And then he has her husband killed, Uriah the Hittite. He abuses his power. And so what happens? Nathan, the prophet, comes to King David and he speaks truth. You've, 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 you've murdered a man. You've committed adultery. He speaks the truth and nothing but the truth as the prophet was supposed to do. And it convicted David to the heart, to the core, and he repented. And then you see the priest who was to draw all to the worship of Christ. We see that the structure is ultimately completely upside down. We see the king, the prophet, and the priest have completely failed in their roles. And instead of leading people back to the true prophet, the true priest, and the true king, they're power hungry for personal gain. The king, which we see in this passage, is, is said as a prince. Verse 6 says about the king, Behold, the princes, the kings of Israel in you, everyone according to his power, have been bent on shedding blood. The king is using their power for violence and shedding of blood. They are built on, bent on self-satisfaction. Then verse 7, Father and mother are treated with contempt in you. The sojourner suffers extortion in your midst. The fatherless and the widow are wronged in you. The, the, the king was was absolutely taking advantage of the powerless. The powerless were not being defended by the princes, but they were being uh, absolutely slaughtered. They were being hurt. They were being wronged. The perversion of the land is brought by the power of the princes, not for good, but for evil. God had sent the role of king to be a role that would be for good for the people, to lead the people righteously. But this king, this prince is leading them to nothing but evil. And then we even see that there's financial extortion. Verse 12, in you they take bribes to shed blood. You take interest and profit and make gain of your neighbors by extortion. But then don't miss what the last part of verse 12 is. And there's a, there's a semicolon here, which means it's the continuation of this thought. Hey, you've taken bribes. You've extorted your neighbor. You've had perverse financial gain because of your power. But... Me, you have forgotten, declares the Lord. Beloved, especially those who live in North America and the country of the United States of America, have we allowed our financial prosperity and our privilege to overcome our thoughts of God? 
Do we think more about money? Do we think more about the American dream? Do we think more about our financial stability than we do about the presence of God? Are we more secure when our bank account is full than when we are full with the Spirit of God? Or do we see that those go hand in hand, that you're walking close with the Lord when you are spirit, when you are financially secure, but you're far from the Lord when you are not financially secure? Oh, beloved, I am afraid that too many times we have worshipped at the foot and the God of mammon and of money as opposed to the God of this universe. And many times we are just as guilty as these princes using our power for violence and shedding blood and not defending the powerless and perverting the land with our power, not for good, but for evil and for financial extortion and financial gain. Oh, we see in Ezekiel chapter 22, even in verse 27, the office of the king, the office of the prince, it says verse 27 They're like wolves tearing the prey, shedding blood, destroying lives to get dishonest gain. The office of the king, the structure of the king is completely broken. And God is judging the people. God is judging the king because that office is broken. But also the prophet. Verse 25, we see this written about the prophet. The conspiracy of her prophets in her midst is like a roaring lion tearing the prey. They have devoured human lives. They have taken treasure and precious things. They have made many widows in their midst. The prophets were killing people and consuming men. They were using their religious position to consume people's souls. They were manipulating people into false religion. Instead of of speaking truth about God, they were misrepresenting him. Verse 28, and her prophets have smeared whitewash for them. Instead of speaking truth, they're just whitewashing what's happening. They're seeing false visions. They're they're, They're divining lies for them. Oh, but then listen to this. And they are saying, thus says the Lord when the Lord has not spoken. They're using God's name in vain to lead people astray. The prophets have no regard for God. No regard for God. Oh, beloved, we need the prophet to speak the truth. We need those who are speaking the truth in love from God's word in order to see repentance. But here in Ezekiel chapter 22, 99% judgment, 1% grace, we see that that structure of the prophet is broken. But also the priest, verse 26, her priests have done violence to my law and have profaned my holy things. They have made no distinction between the holy and the common. Neither have they taught the difference between the unclean and the clean. And they have disregarded my Sabbaths so that I am profaned among them. Priests are supposed to bring people's attention to God through sacrifice and forgiveness and to bring them to authentic relationship and worship. Instead, they profane the holy name of the Lord and lead the people in sin. Instead of leading them to repentance and worship, they're actually leading them, leading the charge right into sin. And they aren't changing the people's mindsets. Instead, they are, they, they are absolutely making what's clean unclean. And what was unclean, they're calling it clean. They have disregarded the law of the Lord. They aren't changing the minds of the Lord back to God. They are leading the charge away from God. And that's why in verse 12, the Lord says, but you've forgotten me for the sake of your fleshly desire, for the sake of your, of, of your power. 
And God had set a boundary to the power of all earthly leaders. And they're ignoring the boundaries and disregarding God and leading people to desire self above God. And so God says, hey, I put that boundary there for a reason. And if you're going to flow over that reason, I'm going to give you exactly what you've asked for. And isn't that the scariest thing in all of God's word when God gives us exactly what we've asked for? Verse 31 Therefore, I have poured out my indignation upon them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath. Listen to this. I have returned their way upon their heads. In other words, God is saying, I'm giving you exactly what you asked for. Beloved, let us be warned today not to become bored with God and in so doing intoxicated with power and sin. Because boredom with God is a dangerous and costly thing. The prophet, the priest, and the king in this passage had grown bored with the ways of the Lord. And they were growing intoxicated with power and sin. And it was costly. Why? Because God gave them exactly what they asked for. As a parent, so many times, one of the best ways to instruct our children is to give them what they've asked for. Right now, within reason, but they ask for something and they don't know what they're asking for. And sometimes it's just better to to give them what they're asking for. Boredom with God always will cost us because we get what we ask for. Separation from the Lord, wrath, indignation, judgment. So I want us to see five things that boredom will cost us that we see from this passage. Boredom with God is costly, and we see five things it will cost us in this passage. First, boredom with God will cost us our worship. Verse 26, again, that we see the priests had defiled the worship of God. They had done violence to the law. They profaned the holy things. They made no distinction between the holy and the common. Neither had they taught the difference between the unclean and the clean, and they had disregarded the Sabbaths, and he was, God was profane among them. The priests had grown lackadaisical before God. Beloved, the question is, have we grown lackadaisical before God? Do we treat holy worship of God casually? Do we take for granted time in God's word or time set aside for prayer? Are we bored when God's word is preached? Are we looking to go to church for a show and and lights and music instead of heart change? The God we worship is the God of Isaiah 6, high and lifted up. The God before whom all people fell as though dead. We need to be reminded of the dramatic majesty of God so we do not get lackadaisical before this great and holy God. And we need to grasp his holiness so we don't lose sight of his love. You see, his love is great and vast, and we realize that because of his holiness on which our sin has trampled. When we read a passage like Isaiah chapter, Ezekiel chapter 22, we see all the judgment. We see all the holiness. We see all the wrath of God. We cannot ignore that. Why? Because it makes us appreciate his grace all the much more when we realize that we have trampled his holiness. We realize how great is the love of God when we realize that while we were yet sinners, while we were scoffing him, while our righteousness was but as filthy rags that Christ died for us. 
Oh, the love of God is manifested the most when we look at the holiness, wrath, and judgment of God. And we realize what we have been preserved from, what we deserved. We did not get what we deserved. We did not get what we asked for, but we got the love and the grace of God. Bottom line, if we lose the magnificence of God's holiness and begin to profane the holy things of God, if we begin to become bored with God, we lose our worship. Boredom with God will cost us our worship. But second, boredom with God will cost us our purity. We see in verses 8 through 11, this terrible, impure ways of the people. You have despised my holy things, verse 8, and profaned my Sabbath. There are men in you who slander to shed blood, and people in you who eat on the mountains. They commit lewdness in your midst. In you men uncover their father's nakedness. In you that violate women who are unclean in their menstrual impurity. One commits abominations with his neighbor's wife. Another lewdly defiles his daughter-in-law. Another in you violates his sister, his father's daughter. Without a proper view of God's holiness, personal holiness gets fuzzy really quickly. The people here are, in one way or in the other, completely trampling upon the code of purity set out by God for his people. They are enamored with the profane. They enjoy watching it, and they enjoy participating in it. Beloved, the question comes back to us. What are we watching? What are we looking at? How are we spending our time? During this time of of a global pandemic even, what are we watching? What are we finding for entertainment? Sporting events, for the most part, have been canceled in one way or postponed. Things that, that, that have taken our time with activities have slowed down or been canceled. Are we watching television programs and movies that mock the purity of God? Are we looking at images in secret when we think no one else is looking? Are we bored with God's purity because it doesn't create enough laughs or a good enough romantic comedy? Do we enjoy the romantic comedies where there are two people that are doing things that only should be intended for married couples and we're laughing and we think it would be too boring of a romantic comedy or too boring of a comedy if they were pure? What comedy before us in today's time is their God's purity? May we not grow complacent and in the end lose our purity before a holy God. If we don't see God as holy, if we only see him as loving and accepting, we will engage in all sorts of behavior that we think we can get away with. Because God is not really that serious about sin in that worldview. If God's not really holy, then he can't really be serious about sin. If we are only thinking about how his love and his grace and not his holiness and his wrath and his judgment, then we forget that God is serious about sin for all of sin and falling short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin is what? Death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. When we don't think that God is serious about sin, then we begin to believe that he's just more into acceptance and he tolerates our behavior. But the truth is God loves us so much that he wants to preserve our purity because he has something far greater. He has something far greater. Are we teaching this to our children? Are we discipling this truth to those we work with? Are we making sure that this call to personal holiness is seen as necessary? God didn't die 
in order for us to have a license to sin. Christ Jesus died, not as Paul says to the church at Romans, not so that we would allow grace to abound more and more and keep on sinning, but that we would seek the purity of God. Let's not grow bored with God and in so doing be so overconsumed with legalism that we go completely and utterly licentious. I'm afraid in many times in our churches, we're so consumed with not being legalistic that we instead grow licentious. We do whatever we think. We believe we have a license. Oh, well, I'm my, it doesn't matter if my life looks like the life of everyone else in the world because I'm saved by grace. Oh, beloved, God purchased you as a holy people to make you holy, to make you more like him. He had justified you in order to sanctify you, not that you would lose your purity. But when we're bored with God, it will cost us our purity. And you may look at these first two and go, well, it'll cost us our worship. It'll cost us our purity. Big deal. But ultimately, when we lose our worship and we lose our purity, we also see that boredom with God will cost us our mission. Verse 7. Father and mother are treated with contempt in you. The sojourner suffers extortion in your midst. The fatherless and the widow are wronged in you. The Lord had called his people a mission to be a voice to the voiceless, the hope for the hopeless, and the strength for the powerless. Instead, we see here that the people had lost the call to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with God. When we lose sight of God's holiness, both in himself and in us and bored with his ways, then we lose complete sight of his mission. As unpopular, uncomfortable as it might be to speak of a dangerous God, it is crucial that we do so because we need an accurate view of God. You see, seeing God as holy and dangerous is essential to how we live. As children of our Father in heaven, we too are called to be dangerous, not violent and not destructive. But like God, we should be dangerous to evil and injustice. We should be a holy threat to anything that preys on the innocent, crushes the powerless, and enslaves people to sin. Many times people will ask me, what is Lifeline doing to to stop human trafficking? Outside of adoption and outside of unadopted, what are ways that you are attacking human traffickers? And I look sometimes at those people and I say, let me ask you a question first. What are you doing with your entertainment and with your secret life that's fueling human trafficking? The number one fuel of human trafficking is pornographic content, pornographic entertainment, and making light of prostitution in our entertainment. That fuels human trafficking. When we fail to worship the holiness of God, when, when our purity is on the, the fritz, oh, then we are absolutely not on mission with God. We are against mission with God. Because our mission is to show the character of our God to the world, a God who tells us continually to seek justice for the orphan, the widow, the stranger, and the alien. In Isaiah, similarly, the people's sins are far above their heads, and the Lord must rebuke them. This is what Isaiah chapter 1, verse 15 through 18 says. Verse 15, when you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Oh, when you're trying to worship God, he's hiding his eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. The people were praying to God and he refused to listen. 
Your hands are full of blood. Verse 16, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes, cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. We love to put verse 18 on our walls. We love to put it on artwork. It's a beautiful verse, Isaiah 1, 18, even Isaiah 1, 17. Those are beautiful verses to put, especially if you're into orphan care or defending the fatherless, put Isaiah 117. At Lifeline, we've even used that verse on shirts to defend the fatherless, to seek justice. Verse 18, what a beautiful verse. Let us reason together. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. But don't miss it, beloved. God is telling these people, I'm not going to listen to you because you've become bored with me and you have lost your mission. How do, we, how do we get our sins forgiven? How do we come back into right relationship with God? We seek God in worship. We seek our personal holiness and we get on mission with God. When we come to know God and he saves us, he saves us for a mission that is far bigger than ourselves. Boredom with God will cost us our mission. But fourth, boredom with God will cost us our place in God's global work. It'll cost us our place in God's global work. You see, God had even chosen the people of Israel to be the light of the Lord to the nations. They were his chosen people. But now look at verse 15 and 16 of Ezekiel chapter 22. It says, I will scatter you among the nations and disperse you throughout the countries, and I will consume your uncleanliness out of you, and you shall be profaned by your own doing in the sight of the nations, and you shall know that I am am the Lord. You shall be profaned among the nations. Instead of being the light of the Lord and remarked by the nations for the glory of the Lord, the people of God will be profaned by God in the sight of the nations. It cost them their place in God's global work. Once our boredom with God costs us our worship and our missional energy, it will then cost us our place in God's global work. And this is God's global work for which he calls his people to in Psalm 67. Listen to Psalm 67. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us, that your way may be known on earth and your saving power among all nations. Let the people praise you. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Oh, let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and you guide the nations upon the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. That your earth has yielded its increase. God, our God shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. But here in Ezekiel chapter 22, the people's boredom with God has led them into being a derision among the nations as opposed to being a blessing. Beloved, we have been called to take the gospel message to the nations, and this is a complete blessing. What a day when we see every tongue, tribe, and nation worshiping the Lord. One of the greatest gifts of a Christ follower is having a multi-ethnic, multicultural, and multiracial family. Let's not grow bored and cost ourselves our place in God's global work. But then fifth, boredom with God will cost us our relevance. Verse 31 of Ezekiel chapter 22 tells us that God poured out his indignation upon them. He consumed them with the fire of his wrath. 
and he returned their way upon their heads, declares the Lord. They are consumed with the fire of the wrath of God. In 2000, it was stated that one out of nine people under the age of 35 had no religion. One out of every nine in 2000 claimed they had no religion. Just this last year, it was claimed that now one out of three, three times as many of the U.S. population under 35 claim no religion. Boredom for the church and for God. We've lost our salt. When as believers, we have become hypocritical and caught up in our own power and privilege. Instead of fighting and standing up for justice, we devoured our own and abused the powerless. Boredom with God and his word is costing the American church her relevance. Right now, in this day of time, when people should be flocking to the church who Christ died for, they're seeing the church is irrelevant. Beloved, the church is the most relevant thing we have because Christ died for the church. But we are losing it when, like the king, the prophet, and the priest, we use our power and God-given gifts for destruction rather than for the glory of God. And so, we are left with who will be the one that will stand in the gap. In Ezekiel chapter 22, historically, the scene is that the Babylonians are marching into Jerusalem and the Lord looks for just one to stand in the gap. Verse 30, And I, being the Lord, sought for a man among them who should build up the wall and stand in the breach before me for the land that I should not destroy it. But I found None. There is no one to stand in the breach. 99% judgment, Ezekiel chapter 22, and 1% grace. But beloved, I want to tell you, the words may sound like that, but the truth of the matter is, Ezekiel chapter 22, with all of its judgment, with all of its wrath, with all of the tough things that we read, is 99% grace and 1% judgment. Why? Because it all points to the one who would ultimately stand in the breach. Jesus Christ, our great intercessor, who will stand in the breach and bridge the gap once and for all. Christ Jesus glorified his father in perfection and never grew bored of his assignment. He changes everything. He was the perfect prophet, speaking the truth of God over and over in perfectness. He was the perfect priest that drew us to worship of Christ Jesus and the Father in heaven. And he is the perfect king who we bow down to. We see that we are the ones who have sinned and deserve the wrath. But his grace, oh, his grace is sweet when we understand how sinful we are. So by the exercise of Ezekiel chapter 22, we understand how sinful we are, and we understand even more and enjoy even more the sweet, magnificent love and grace of God. He's given us a heart of flesh so that we will be able to stand with him in the gap. It harkens us back to Ezekiel chapter 11, verses 19 through 20. And I will give them one heart and a new spirit, and I will put within them. I will remove their heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them and they shall be my people and I shall be their God. Ezekiel 22 on the surface looks like 99% judgment and 1% grace but when we see it in the light of Christ 
This passage is 100% grace. This, beloved, is what we've been saved from. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And he gave us his grace, his mercy, and his unending love. Well, thanks for joining us for the Defender Bible Study. This week, we are praying for the country of Haiti. We are praying for our in-country representative, Phil Dare. We pray that he will be able to continue the work and provide for his family. We pray God will continue to equip and strengthen him each day as he does work on behalf of vulnerable children and adoptive families. We're praying for IBESR, Haiti's central authority, as they manage all aspects of adoption in Haiti during this time of unrest and COVID-19. We pray for the people of Haiti during this time of many unknowns and fear in relation to the pandemic. We pray for the Lord's comfort and peace will prevail in their hearts. We pray for all of our missionary contacts in Haiti in the midst of the unrest and COVID-19. We pray for our team as we pray through building church partnerships in the country of Haiti. We pray for those families who've been matched and are longing for their children to come home. And we praise God because we know that at least five children are going to be brought home in the next couple of weeks from Haiti and one that was even brought home this last weekend. We also praise the Lord for allowing three other children to come home in May of this year. And we praise the Lord for making a way for other children to be able to, to be matched even in the midst of all of this unrest and in the midst of COVID-19. We have so much to be thankful for, but we also pray. We pray for the hearts and the minds of the people of Haiti and for the gospel to go forth. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your word. It is powerful and it's true. And Lord, in so many different ways, we know that we have the opportunity of a global mission because you have saved us, you have redeemed us, and you have put us in a place to show your great love among the nations. And so today we lift up the country of Haiti. We pray specifically that your gospel would go forth during the unrest and during COVID-19, we pray that the gospel would be preached and the gospel would be realized and that men, women, boys, and girls would turn from their sin and turn from their wicked ways and that they would glorify you. Lord God, we pray for Phil Dare, our in-country representative specifically. We pray for his needs to be met during this time. We pray for the needs of vulnerable families and vulnerable children to be met during this time. We pray for IBS, ESR, and we thank you for the ways that they've allowed children to come home, children who've been matched and children who were waiting. We pray for more children to be able to come home and more children to be referred out to families, children who desperately need permanence through adoption. We pray for our missionary contacts in Haiti, that they would be strengthened, they would be empowered, and the church in Haiti would be strengthened and empowered during this time of unrest and of COVID-19. And Lord, we just praise you for these children who came home in May and for these children who will come home in the next several weeks. Thank you for making a way when a way seemed impossible. God, you are the way maker and we love you and we praise you and we ask all these things in your matchless name, the name of Jesus, amen. Thanks again for joining us for the Defender Bible Study. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Bible Study to make it easier for more people to find. For more resources and information on how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, please visit us at lifelinechild.org. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. We look forward to seeing you again next week for the Defender Bible Study.